Welcome to She Leads in Tech, where we exist to showcase and spotlight the talents and achievements of women in tech. We're a platform to share knowledge, experiences, and expertise to encourage women to realize their leadership potential at every level of career in the tech industry. Hi, hey, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on this session of She Leads in Tech. I am Lydia Igoche, your host and founder. And today I'm pleased to introduce our guest speaker, Maria Lemma, co-founder of Weaver Labs. Um, our mission on this platform is to increase the visibility of women working in tech. And I'm so pleased Maria is here today to discuss um, the evolution of telecommunications technology uh, with us and to tell us what's been happening in the telecoms tech space through the lens of her, her career. So welcome, Maria. I'm looking forward to this chat with you today. Thank you, Lydia. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to it as well and uh, to tell you my journey and uh, my, my role in, in telecoms. Thank you, Maria. So to get us all a bit relaxed, relaxed, I know you've been busy today. I'm going to ask a bit of trivia question and to get you started. So can you tell us what your favorite color is? <laughs> uh, my favorite color is blue. Good. I've got your favorite <laughs> color on today. How coincidental. <laughs> I did one of these in the past and um, myself and one of the co-hosts, we ended up sharing the same uh, favorite color, uh, which, which was a good thing. So my favorite color is mustard yellow and it just evokes happiness for me. That's why I like it. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, oh, that's yeah. good. Well, I'm, I'm glad Providence has put me in your favorite color today. So I hope <laughs> this is sending some, some joy your way. <laughs> Of course, yes. <laughs> okay. So again, for for our speakers, uh, our listeners who don't know much about you, I'll just do a bit of preamble and leave the rest of the intro for you to cover. And, you know, we've got lots of questions that's going to deep dive into your experience and your back, background will, will really uh, come through as we discuss that wider topic of evolution of telecoms technology over the last couple of years. So just before we get started, just want to tell everyone, you know, Maria is uh, the co-founder of Weaver Labs and Weaver Labs is a company which focuses on enabling communication through the use of secure and shared telecommunications infrastructure. Um, Maria also holds a PhD in telecommunications from KCL and she is the author of several uh, landmark papers including one which I particularly like around enabling end-to-end um, -end 5G uh, connectivity. So that is a lot of experience Maria and one of the questions I like to ask women in the tech space is you know how did you get into all of this so how did you get into wireless communications in the first place? Um, yeah, so just one minor correction. My PhD is from uh, University in Barcelona. I yes. did research at King's, but the the university who granted me the PhD is uh, UPC in Barcelona, not not not. Ah, King's. right. I thought it was um, PCL. Yeah, no, I I did finish my PhD there, but okay. it was uh, my the majority of my time was in in Barcelona UPC. 
Okay. So how did I get into telecoms? Well, I guess everyone has kind of like a calling, you know, in terms of career calling and stuff. Well, I didn't. Um, for me, it was um, sheer, I don't know, I guess. I wanted to study something that was close to where I lived. Mm. And I had three options, um, agriculture, aeronautics, or telecoms. Yeah. I applied to aeronautics and telecoms and I did not make the cut for aeronautics. So yeah. I ended up in telecoms. Yeah. Um, my brother was doing telecoms at the time. And when I had to choose um, university studies, uh, I was like, hey, how, what's this about telecoms? And he's like, yeah, sounds cool. Mm. Seeing his first year, so didn't get much into it. But I just thought, let's give it a go. Yeah. And yeah, that, that's how I started. Then I really enjoyed it, uh, studying it. I, I, I'm a person that, I mean, I, I understand systems. I like systems. Yeah. Um, and I like to explain the behavior of things. That's why I was looking for an engineering um, career. So I guess telecoms gave me that. I loved physics as well. And I, I did radio communications. And then my PhD is basically on system level improvement for uplink communications in 5g what 4g and then 5g so a lot of electronics and physics and um and of course system system design so i guess i learned how to how to enjoy it and love it throughout the five years of university so much that i decided to stay in university five more years so yeah (laughs) that is interesting and in in that point of deciding what you wanted to do was it always a focus on telecommunications you you started with or did you start from a broader wireless communication radio tech base and then later you you zeroed in on the telecommunications aspect was that how it worked or was it always telecoms from the beginning um so i mean from from since I was kind of like identifying what I wanted to do with my life, I wanted, I understood that I wanted a career in tech. Yeah. I felt that I, I, my way of thinking was closer to uh, a tech type of career, a scientific type of career, yeah. rather than um, something outside of science, uh, because mm-hmm. I felt really comfortable with that. And then once I started my university studies, it went from very, you know, generic physics in terms of radio, a lot of microwave electronics, all the way down into systems. And then how those systems were integrated in the form of telecommunication systems. Mm. So it was always with the objective of finishing understanding what a a telecommunications network is but always from the perspective of the wireless network so I did not I didn't get too specialized in fixed networks a little bit on optical but not too much um, in terms of you know network protocols and and stuff like that there are people that know a lot more than I do Um, My area of expertise, it's more like, um, you know, 3GPP standard bodies and studied, you know, 3G and then did my PhD in 4G and and 5G. So 
very much radio access networks uh, for yeah. 3GBP uh, standards bodies and and then of course once you know once you are in your professional life life takes you here and there and then mm -hmm. I moved on to more operational roles where I've been working on implementation of systems yeah. so once I left my career in academia I was more hands-on in terms of delivering um, networks on the street so more on the implementation side very much cloud-based so then I went all the way up to infrastructure and another other things but always telecoms yes yeah oh no that's that's so good and um, the, the reason I asked that question is that personally I have a similar background to you starting out in in physics and then doing you know all of the typical MSc stuff where you have the broad modules again and then I, I wanted to understand if you know there was that intent from the beginning to always um, come into telecoms, because I know from personal experience, that's not how um, it starts out typically. And a, a second reason I, I asked that question is to try to help people shape their, their intent. So if people like you have that interest of, you know, systems and wireless communication, whether there was maybe a simpler route to try to narrow down to a focus area rather than doing that broad-based um, topic exposure, which is a good thing for general understanding, but not very much for specializing into a, a specific field. So that's why I asked that question. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I, I also wanted to ask how your research interest, you know, building on, you know, when you went from your MSc into your, your PhD, that for the five years of lonely PhD life you, you decided to embark on, I mean, how did it start to play, play out in terms of, you know, research interests versus industry applications? You mentioned 3GPP, 3GPP standards. Um, how, how did that start to intersect for you? So um, I guess when I finished my master's, uh, I did a master's in entrepreneurship and management. Um, and I also did an extension to the telecom studies where I did more like in-depth study of, of systems and um, instrumentation and, and other stuff. So um, I guess I was, I was young. And I had to go and look for a job. And then I thought like, oh my God, I'm going to be working for a company until I'm 67. <laughs> and I'm very young and I still have so much to learn. Yeah. Um, and I guess I liked university a lot. I liked to learn. I was good at it. I was good at learning things. Um, and, and I also met a woman who I was, um, I admired a lot and and I saw her as a, you know, someone I would look up to yeah. and someone that I would want to have a similar career as her. Mm. And she had a PhD in telecoms and was, uh, you know, lecturing. She was a lecturer. And in, in one of my last exams that I had with her, I just remember going and handing her over my exam and saying, like, I want to work with you. Mm. Um, and I knew that she was running an innovation lab in the in the university and she had some you know um yeah some internships 
So I was always working while I was doing my studies. And at the time I was working in Agilent Technologies, working on testing uh, devices. So before yeah. it was Hewlett Packard, you know, selling oscilloscopes and, and spectrum analyzers to, to researchers. And it was a very much sales type of role. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and when I talked to Sylvia about like working with her, she proposed to me to join the, the lab and work on a research project, uh, which was, which was uh, also sponsored by, by the industry at that time was Abertis Telecom. Mm. And it was around uh, digital television. So DVB-T, DVB-T2, that, that was when all of these standards were coming out. Um, and I truly enjoyed working in, in that, in that um, you know, environment of, they threw me a problem. I had to develop solutions for it. And, and present those solutions because at the end of the day, we had a private sector sponsor. So we had to show solutions. We worked on a project consortium. Um, we mm -hmm. had project meetings and stuff like that. So it was very, I enjoyed it a lot. And by the time I finished my master's while I was working there as an intern, uh, I got offered a full-time position um, in the university to continue doing the same kind of research work that I was doing, no PhD involved. And I think I was very clear when they offered me that. I was like, I have no intention on doing a PhD. I'm just <laughs> here to do research and then go. And I was looking for a job at the same time. And I, I remember I interviewed for Vodafone and, and big telco companies. And, and when, he had, when I had the... the you know to, to make a decision do I leave the university or do, and do I go to industry yeah I thought what the industry was offering was incredibly boring it was not stimulating my mind it was very much streamline of work I was fit in a little box you yeah. know and give me work from you know someone gives you work and then you hand it over to someone else and there you are in that little box I'm not trying to say that people who work <laughs> for the industry are it in boxes now yeah. I work in in the industry and it's not the same yeah but at that time being so junior I had very little freedom to decide like what I wanted to do in those big companies and the offers that I was getting were were very limited in terms of creativity whereas the other role that I had was immensely creative working with the entire planet traveling yeah. a lot and very 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 creative and nurturing mm -hmm. so it was no no, no brainer for me okay. and then at some point it was like a natural next step to enroll a phd because i was already doing a bunch of research mm -hmm. so why not get a get a title for that and then and and for that my my, my supervisor was kind of like he really made a case for me saying like but you're publishing you're doing research why yeah. don't you like get that title um, and and commit to it and and I did and uh, it, it, and I, I agree with you that it's a lonely path but yeah. it is lonely as because of how academic research is constructed not because the researchers themselves want to make it lonely mm. it is a very um, enriched opportunity you know like you travel all across the planet you meet so many people um, and it's, it is culturally very also enriched, right? Because I've met people from everywhere. Um, whereas sitting in an office in a company as a junior employee might have not been the yeah. case. 
Um, and the reason that was the reason why I left academic research as well. It's the construction around the the the, the, the research that mm -hmm. that I, it was not aligned with with my personal interests anymore. Yeah, yeah, I, I did find one of your uh, talks you did at KCL very interesting because you were talking about the academic drive to to publish papers instead of you know, that drive to collaborate with industry and, and you know, really make an impact from, from research into what, what's happening to shape um, the evolution of, of technology. And I sort of got that sense that you are passionate about bringing the two together. So using the, um, the brain power we've got in research, because you cited that, you know, we've got lots of students available um, at all different levels, not just at the PhD level, that can be really driving innovation. But like you said, in, in academia, the approach is time box because we or, or people need to be measured by the volume of and quality of publications. And then in industry, we're also driven by, by targets around specific projects and not necessarily a marrying of the two perspectives. So is, is there a way you, you overcame that challenge? Because it seemed you were able to bring those two aspects together between the work you did in your research and what you have done and are still doing in industry now. So how did you get around that? Well, I didn't. That's why I left. <laughs> okay. But yeah. I did have a lot of fun before that. And I think we did find um, a good commitment between the two or a good way for research and or academia and industry to work together. And that was my time at King's. Yeah. Um, so at King's College, I met an incredible set of, of people who uh, were very much like me in that sense. Uh, wanted to show the world that how we could disrupt the telecoms industry by bringing together the industry and bringing it bringing the industry to academia. Hmm. Academic institutions don't have a commercial interest or a commercial yeah. outcome, so we can take risks and and we can push things to the boundaries. And often, um, you know, industry invests in academia just to do that. And mm. I was lucky enough to work with Ericsson on the 5G Tactile Internet Lab at King's College London. And, and there we, 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 were, we were giving the task of answering the question of why we needed 5G. And, and that, that was pure joy um, because we had to find the industries that really needed the use of telecoms to solve business problems and actually embrace digital transformation so yeah. we worked with healthcare with entertainment you know like the theaters automotive sector uh manufacturing all of these interesting uh industries who had loads of problems that could be solved with technology and the underlying element or enabler of that digital transformation was networks because yes. networks transmit data and data is what it's the new oil right it's what what actually provides value yeah so kings and ericsson together that that combination that partnership really 
proved that 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 could be done that we could actually push the boundaries and collaborate industry and, and academia and, and and show how um you know the industry can evolve or how things can 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 look like in maybe 10 years from now because that's yeah. our role from from academia however in, in, in academia, that's not very well perceived, right? Because the KPIs for a researcher are different. It's yes. not how many headlines you've made on the media. It's not how many talks you've done about that, how many demos you have, or how many industry partners have you onboarded. It's how many papers have you published. Mm -hmm. And in, in, you know, what, what's the impact factor, what's your age factor, and, and so on and so forth, and so how many grants. And so there's no career path defined for people who want to do this in, in academia. Um, and at some point you get into, into a ceiling, right? It's like, okay, so what do I do now? Should yeah. I continue doing this forever? Or should I just try and, 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 and find another, another thing that fulfills me as well? And I guess that was for me the, the, the break-even point where I had to, to make the decision of, well, should I stay or should I go? What, what do I do? Um, but yeah, I think King's and the partnership with Ericsson was, was extremely um, helpful for, for the 5G industry, at least in the UK. Thank you, Maria. So you mentioned 5G and tactile internet there, which is part of the questions I've, I've got to ask you to explain simply. Um, but before 5G, what other uh, telecommunications technologies did you work did you work with either in your research or, or industry experience? So I started basically with LTE, long-term evolution, 4G, well. 3.9 first release eight long-term evolution and then um yeah release 10 11 12 um which was more lte advanced and the the actual implementation of 4g um and then as as, as a matter of evolution I, I i continued with with 4g so those are the two i sorry with 5g those yeah. are the two that I spent the majority of my life working. No, that's that's really good. And and for five G tactile, is that a different use case for five G, or is this a separate category of of five G itself? Not really. I think what tactile internet was meaning to um, explain address is just that instant action reaction through the internet right being able mm -hmm. to transmit the sense of touch requires a certain level of quality of service over the network that we didn't have before so that sub millisecond latency that ultra high bandwidth and ultra reliable communication so that's kind of like that very niche number of use cases that you know, would require that the transmission of the sense of touch. Um, it's it's not, I would say, you know, a, a standard or a family of standard. It was more like a movement at that time that mm. was actually triggering um, certain elements that were needed to be able to transmit the sense of touch over the internet. And the team at King's did an excellent job, which I, I was not involved in that work, but there was a lot of work done, for example, in, in, in codecs 
for transmit codifying tactile information. Yeah. Um, definition of requirements for the tactile transmission is not the same tactile and kinesthetic. Um, so it was more like a label of, you know, creating the next generation of the internet where we can transmit skills and give an extra sense to the human being through the internet because now we can see and we can hear yeah. but what about if we want to touch and then there were a large number of use cases that that would benefit from that right so we have the surgeons and and, and the medical doctors who are you know exploring patients and constantly using their hands and and a great part of their expertise resides on their hands, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and sometimes the, the success of a procedure would largely be determined based on the ability to touch certain tissue or the stiffness of that tissue. Yeah. So, there's, so there has been a lot of work in the robotics department in terms of creating those sensors that would allow the doctor to measure that sense of touch and then we would bring in the internet component so that we could actually separate the man from the machine yeah to to you know to to perform that operation so i, I guess the term tactile internet it's it, it refers to the possibility of the family of use cases mm. but also the the certain level of 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 kpis the network needs to to be you know compliant too but also there is a whole lot of other things like as i mentioned yeah. codex and the devices and so on and so forth so it's a whole world in itself yeah and i was going to follow on say is that use case for tactile internet the only driver driving the push uh, for 5g adoption or are there other other use cases that are driving the uh, adoption and evolution from 4G to, to 5G? Well, I think definitely not. <laughs> Tactile internet is, it, it, it hasn't driven adoption in 5G mm -hmm. and potentially won't. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the work that we were doing with regards to tactile internet and 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 you know pushing the boundaries as i said is like shoot for the stars and and create these these crazy level use cases that can demonstrate uh you know what technology can can achieve but of course we're not thinking about robots operating anytime soon mm. or or robots operating remotely robots are operating right now but you know like there is there is what you can achieve with technology and that's what we were bringing from academic research and then there the other thing is that okay what can we be doing right now in the short mm. term so when i have to think about 5g adoption it is a difficult question um because what there is a whole component of you know or a whole argument around commercial and business models and investment that needs to be done mm -hmm. um, and and that question hasn't been really answered yet and a large number of use cases that we can use today can be very well done with 4g with a good 4g private network or you know a, a more reliable 4g now 4g is great 
mm-hmm. or even Wi-Fi or other sets of, of technologies. I think that the adoption of 5G is accelerating just because of the access to spectrum that we yeah. have, you know, shared spectrum access and, and Ofcom has opened up spectrum for that. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely driving adoption in, 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 a, in a number of use cases because mm-hmm. it's easier. And also the other thing that is driving adoption in 5G is the softwareization and the fact that the telecoms industry is becoming more IT-based or cloud-based. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the efforts are being put into 5G and, and not precisely on, on 4G, just simply because it's an evolution of the standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of, of adoption outside of the obvious which is mobile broadband you know our phones and and the customer and and, you know the consumer network which is always set to evolve um most of these use cases that we see today don't really are not really consuming the level of bandwidth and and you know um latencies that 5g can offer but we will see that coming in the future of course you know as we see adoption gaining but if you have to ask me what is the industry that probably is adopting 5g the most or it is benefiting 5g from 5g the most i would see the transport industry mm-hmm. um and yeah, because it, it requires an outdoor connectivity with, you know, an open spectrum, which yeah. 5G fulfills that. Um, sometimes it requires high data rates and, and, and low latencies. So, yeah. Then That's manufacturing was another one discussed a lot, but then there is a lot of Wi-Fi in that, in that realm as well. So Yeah, well, that's good. And where, where does the work with uh, lab pioneers fits into the mix of trying to enable communications and connectivity in the telecom space? So Weaver Labs was born essentially to cover that side of the equation that was not being asked in terms of adoption. It's like, what is preventing connectivity in general to be adopted? We have all yeah. these technologies. We, we know how to shoot for the stars and we know how to make robots operate remotely. Theoretically, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pretty sure that to do it at scale, we need to do a lot more of due diligence on that. But the point yeah. is that we have proven that the technology can deliver those use cases, but we haven't proven the business case. Um, and in the business case, it always ended up in the question of who's going to pay for this, yeah. for this network. And, and then understanding the market, what we saw was that there were a large number of players who wanted to invest in telecoms infrastructure outside of the classic mobile network operators. Yeah. But those, the motivations or the commercial interests for those players to invest in telecoms infrastructure were not precisely, you know, enhanced broadband connectivity. Mm-hmm. So. What, what it would end up, what we would see is that we would end up in a future scenario where in infrastructure was going to be built by a larger number of players so that the supply chain was going to be diversified in terms of the actors who contribute telecoms infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And you needed something that allowed to knit together all of that infrastructure so that it could be consumed easily. Because if I go to a city and I am a smart city application, and I want to connect my sensors in the whole geography of the city, yeah. but I have infrastructure that it's owned by A, B, C, D, E. 
it's kind of like a barrier for me as a, mm-hmm. as, as a supplier of a service to go and have to talk to five different suppliers, right? So in this case, our software integrates all of these telecoms infrastructure that initially exists in silos and opens it up to be consumed as a service. So what we see is that there is, there is, um, our software facilitates the integration of neutral hosting with Mm -hmm. uh, uh, mobile network operator infrastructure and it empowers infrastructure as a service to be used um, and, and, you know, infrastructure sharing models, right? So build mm-hmm. ones and have multiple players sharing that infrastructure. So that is the, the, the problem that we're trying to tackle from, from Weaver Labs and, 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 and all very much based on the evolution of, of, of networks and that now mm-hmm. they're cloud-based and, and a, la- a layer of software can actually do that. Yeah. And does that linking of different operator system create any any concerns about security? Well, we have um, an implementation of zero trust security on our platform. So that means that whereas before integration of networks would be uh, based on perimeter models. So mm-hmm. my perimeter is my domain and then I would connect to your network and we have a human-based agreement so we can interconnect this network. So in the zero trust, what you do is you shrink that perimeter model to your individual elements of the network. Mm-hmm. And then you have your authenticate everywhere, know your devices and yeah. uh, you know, and 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 monitor and, and meter everything that is going on in the network. So um supposedly zero trust is it's it's going to mitigate those those concerns of interconnectivity across multiple domains thank you thank you so much so um we've gone through a lot um in in you talking about your your experience and i particularly like that linking between your experience in 4G and how it evolved into your research and contribution in the 5G space. So to bring things to a close, because again, technology continue, um, is, is still evolving, 5G is still in the, um, I would say, starting phase of, of adoption and, and rollout. But is this where it all ends with 5G or is there even more network evolution on the horizon? Oh my God, <laughs> of course. We, we, I mean, every there is going to be a 6G for sure. Like we are already seeing the academic institutions talking about it and, and starting to shape the use cases and the requirements for that. So yeah. of course there is going to be more evolution and it's just, this is just the beginning of, the, the, the great things that are to come in the telecom sector, right? Because as I said, we underpin everything that goes on top, right? Mm. And, and, and wireless networks power the economy in ways that, you know, we can't imagine. And it's not, one standard is not going to solve all of our problems. So it's mm. not about 5G or 6G or whatever. It's about the combination of all the tools and assets that we have. So mm. we're also seeing a strong push from satellite communication. So last week I was in CW Tech and I heard incredible talks about the evolution of satellite communications. And, 
and I'm quite excited about seeing what's what's going on there. We have all the evolution of industry, mm. um, IoT, and also IoT for smart cities, and you know, so power weight area networks and um, the use of of you know small data and maybe not reliable, but but you know those devices need to be sending so. 5G is an overkill for that. So IoT yeah. technology, how do, how, what role does it play in all of this? And how do we integrate all of that? So I guess in terms of evolution, definitely there is going to be more. I hope there is more because otherwise it's going to be too boring. And, yeah. and, 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 and I guess one of the challenges that we're seeing now is how do we make all of this work together? Yes. Yeah, no, that's that's really really good, and I and I had to ask that question to you, um, <laughs> as someone being being in in um, in in research, and just wondering if there's a natural point where everyone gets to a point, and we say no, you know, everything stays steady state um, for X number of years. But as you said, that that wouldn't be the case because six G is already um being invented as we as we speak and and hopefully this it's something we can we can talk about a bit more maybe in a future episode to see to see what that holds and what some of the uh key themes coming out of the research space for for 6g is which is going to be very exciting um but for today um i just want to say thank you so much for such a good conversation and engaging interview and you know thank you for giving your time here to give us an insight into what you've done and contributed in in the tech space and i'm sure it will be uh useful was certainly useful for me to hear about your background i know many people would find this uh conversation inspirational as they think of their own individual career plans as women in tech so thank you so much for joining today thank you for having me and such interesting questions <laughs> no worries thank you maria bye bye